backwards. In 1877, there was a gentleman going around to the prisons in New York City, uh, ministering to the people in New York City, and he he came across several people that had descended from one man, uh, Max Jukes. And so he began to investigate um, his descendants and uh, investigate this man. And there were several things that uh, he learned about Max Jukes' descendants. One was this. Well, over the 356 descendants, I believe there were, um, seven were murderers, 60 were thieves, 50 women of, uh, there were 50 women of debauchery, 130 other convicts, 310 paupers, who combined spent 2,300 years uh, in poor houses and 400 physically wrecked by indulgent living. The Jukes descendants had cost the state of New York $1,250,000 and that was in 1877. That's not even counting inflation for today. But then there was another gentleman, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, we know Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, he was born in 1703. Uh, he was a great theologian. He was a, uh, a pastor. He was president of Princeton College. These were Jonathan Edwards' descendants. One was a U.S. vice president. Three were U.S. senators. There were three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. Church, that's a testimony of what God will do with a with with a man, with a godly man and woman who are committed to his ways. Um, Max Jukes, he was an atheist. He married uh, a woman, an ungodly woman, and these were their descendants. Why do I bring that up? Well, this morning we are uh, looking at the, uh, the phone book of the Bible when it comes to uh, Jesus' uh, heritage. And uh, we are in Luke chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 38 this morning. And I'm not going to take the time to read all those names, but uh, I am going to uh, be talking about them this morning. Now, there's two genealogies of Jesus. One is in the book of Luke, and the other is in the book of Matthew. And they're there, uh, there's a lot of differences in those genealogies, and we're going to be talking about this, that this morning. But I, I want to point out a few as we uh, get into the text this morning. Number one, in Matthew's genealogy, there are 42 names mentioned. In Jesus's or Luke's genealogy, there are 77 names. Luke, the book of Luke, uh, with Jesus's genealogy, goes back to Adam. With Matthews, it goes back to Abraham. In Luke's genealogy, he goes from son to father. In Matthews, he goes from father to son. Matthew works forward 
from Abraham to Jesus, and Luke works backwards from Jesus to Adam. When we look at Matthew's genealogy, it is uh, it gives the genealogy of Joseph. When we look at Luke's genealogy, it gives the genealogy um, of Mary. And we're going to get into that in, in, in just a few minutes. But uh, there's some things about uh, Luke's genealogy that I want to point out to us this morning. Two things. And the first is I want us to see Jesus' humanity. Jesus' humanity. We talked about this when uh, Jesus was born in, in a stable. Uh, Jesus entered our mess. And when you look at the, the heritage, the, the genealogy of, of Jesus, it's a mess. You know, they're all sinners. They've all blown it. Now, there's been some high points. So there's some, been some people in this genealogy that, that have done some, some great things. They were men of faith. But when you look at all of them, though, they've all, they're all sinners, And Jesus has entered this race, and praise God, he is the only person in this list who is without sin. The Bible says he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born born of a virgin, born born of man, but conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was able to live this life of sinlessness. He was able to live the life that neither you or I could live. And if we don't believe that Jesus is born of a virgin church, then we got some real problems with the Bible. Because the Bible is clear that he was born of a virgin and uh, he was both God and man. If he wasn't born of a virgin, if he wasn't conceived by God, he couldn't be both God and man. Jesus wasn't somebody who became God. He was already God who entered humanity. Now, the difference between uh, Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy. Uh, Matthew uh, ends or, or starts with Abraham. And why is it just between Abraham and Jesus? Why doesn't he go all the way back to Adam? Well, you need to understand that for Matthew, he's writing primarily to Jews. He's writing to a Jewish audience. And Father Abraham is very important to the Jews. And and Matthew is wanting to make very clear that uh, this Jesus that's come on the scene came is a descendant of Abraham himself. Now, for Luke, he goes all the way back to Adam. Why? Because he wants to point out to us that not only it does Jesus come from the Jews, but Jesus represents humanity. And, and Luke traces his lineage all the way back to Adam, the, the son of God, the Bible describes Adam in, in, in Luke chapter 3. So here we see um, the last Adam, being Jesus, being traced all the way back to the first Adam. Now, when we look at the two Adams, 
You know, the Bible points out very clear that there's a first Adam in Genesis, Genesis 1, and then there's a second Adam in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and these represent two, uh, uh, two columns of humanity, of people, those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ, the second Adam. The first Adam, in your outline this morning, the first Adam was the Son of God. And when, when we say he was the Son of God, he was created by God, and this is a little son, little s, represents representing humanity. First Adam represents sinful humanity. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 20, uh, 15, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So here we see the first Adam back in Genesis, and then Jesus coming on the scene in, in Luke chapter 3 in the genealogy is the second Adam, and Jesus also is the Son of God. But that is a capital S. And in verse uh, 22, we see that uh, the heavens parted and God's voice said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then Luke goes right into the genealogy of Jesus. And Jesus is the son of God. And Jesus represents the second Adam. Jesus represents the human race, not just one nation. For Abraham... It is one nation. But for Jesus, not only is he going coming on the scene, is he going to save just one nation, but Jesus has come on the scene to save all of humanity. He is the second Adam. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's that next verse under Romans. The Bible says this, Thus it is written, The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. This is Adam. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Some manuscripts in that last uh, uh, verse says, um, we shall, some manuscripts say, let us also bear the image of the man of heaven. Folks, when we are born into humanity, we all represent the first Adam. How do we become part of the second Adam? That's only found in Christ. And we're going to be looking at that um, a little bit later. But understand, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came on the scene to rescue all of humanity. All of humanity. And as you go back and you look at the genealogy of uh, Jesus in uh, In Luke or Matthew, Abraham is mentioned. Why is Abraham mentioned? Why must the line of Jesus go through David and Abraham and Noah and Adam? Why is Abraham mentioned? Because God 
God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. Not only was Abraham going to be the father of a great nation in Genesis chapter 12, but in Genesis chapter 17, your your name, Abram, is going to be called Abraham, and you are going to be the father of many nations. Many kings will come from you. This is a covenant that God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 17. And now that covenant promise is being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So how do we understand how Jews can be uh, children of Abraham because they're part of that bloodline. But how does the rest of humanity become sons of Abraham, children of Abraham? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave or free nor male or female, for you all, you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This promise isn't just for the the Jewish people, but this is a promise for all people that if we place our faith, our, our allegiance in Jesus Christ, we undergo a spiritual birth and we become sons of God. Just like Adam in Genesis 1, Jesus in Luke chapter 3, we too become sons of God by faith. And so you see some major players in this fallen bloodline in Luke chapter 3. Adam, God promises Adam that through you I'm going to crush the head of the serpent. Through Noah, God promises that uh, he'll never destroy the earth again. Through Abraham, God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Through David, he says, a king will eternally reign on your throne. Your throne will never be without a king. God makes these promises, and all these promises are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. As you look at all these names from the Old Testament, They've all blown it. They're all sinners. But God says, I am going to bring my son who's going to fulfill all these promises. You know, when God made a promise with Adam and Noah and Abraham and David, these weren't bilateral covenants. Meaning, if you do this, Noah or Abraham, or David. If you'll do this, then I'll do this. No, these were unilateral covenants. These were covenants of love. The Hebrew word hesed. God did the initiating. God came to these individuals, and he made these covenant promises, 
And he said, in spite of what you do, I am always going to be faithful. My promises are going to be fulfilled. And they are in the person of Jesus. So this is huge when we look at the genealogy of Jesus. You have to go back and you have to read the Old Testament. You have to appreciate what God had been faithful in saying that he would do all along the way. And we see it culminating in the person of Jesus. And so Jesus comes into our humanity to rescue humanity. Living the sinless life. He was the second Adam. And when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we become participants in Jesus' genealogy. He's our Lord and our Savior. So, number one, see his humanity. Number two, see Jesus' royalty. He's the king. As we go through Luke chapter 3 and uh, Matthew chapter 1, we see David mentioned. And the reason why David is mentioned is because Jesus must come through uh, David's descendants. If he didn't come through David's descendants, he would not be qualified to be Messiah. Because he is the king that's going to sit on David's throne forever and ever. Now, as we read about Joseph's ancestors uh, through Abraham, again, uh, Matthew's emphasizing uh, Jesus' Jewishness. But uh, in Luke, Luke is emphasizing Mary's ancestors. And so we have both Luke, um, so we have both Joseph in Matthew and Mary's descendants in, in Luke. Between Abraham and David, the lineage is pretty similar in both lists. But beyond David to Jesus, that's where the genealogy is different. If you look at uh, Jesus' father, Joseph, his father was Jacob. And then you can trace uh, Joseph's family all the way down to Solomon. And, um, and David. But for Mary, uh, the book of Luke, Luke mentions uh, Joseph again. You don't see Mary mentioned in that genealogy. And, but you see Joseph's name, and his father was, uh, it's spelled H-E-L-I, but it's pronounced Eli. The H is, is silent. Who is, who is Eli? Well, scholars tell us that it is most likely Mary's father. And uh, Mary probably didn't have any brothers. And when she married Joseph, Eli adopted Joseph so that Joseph would receive the family inheritance. Um, in genealogies, the, the female wasn't often mentioned. Now, you'll see females' names mentioned in, um, in the book of Matthew, four, four females, but in Luke's, there's no male. But here Eli is Joseph, Jesus' father. Uh, Eli is Joseph's father, most likely Mary's dad. And then you see the, uh, the fathers mentioned there, and it's different 
from the men mentioned in the book of Matthew. Most likely, Mary's family. So why do we have Joseph in in Matthew and Mary in Luke? Well, for one, Luke's been focusing on Mary. You know, much of the stories that we've been hearing up to this point, uh, the the Christmas story, uh, Luke's been interviewing Mary. And so we get her descendants. And uh, in in Matthew, it's Joseph. But in both Gospels, God is is showing us that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne. In Joseph, he's the legal heir. And in Mary, who Jesus was born from, she is David's bloodline. Now, if you'll go back and look at Matthew a little bit, um, Joseph may be the legal heir, but uh, he was disqualified because there was a, uh, one of his descendants was Jeconiah. He was a king of Israel. He was a wicked king. In fact, he was, he was the king that was ruling when Babylonian came in, Babylon came in and uh, took the Jews away in exile. And there was a curse in Jeremiah chapter 22 that said that uh, because of Jeconiah's sin, uh, the descendants of Solomon will not be able to to have the throne of God for all eternity. It's mentioned in your outline here, the reference. And so as you go back to Joseph's uh, lineage, you'll see Jeconiah, you'll see Solomon, and so... That line is disqualified. But there's hope, church, because in Jeremiah chapter 23, a descendant of David is still going to rule on the throne. And so here we see in Luke chapter 3, Mary's line, and Mary's line comes through David's other son, Nathan. And it's through David's descendant, uh, descendant um, Nathan, that this, here's where Jesus comes. And so here we see Jesus. He's both um, the rightful legal heir, according to Joseph, his adopted father, but from his uh, birth mother, the bloodline of Mary, uh, Jesus is qualified to sit on the throne. Just amazing. So that's a little bit of history there. But just know that when God makes a promise God made a promise to David. He's going to fulfill his promise. If you go back and you read Second uh, Samuel and, and First and Second Kings, the the descendants of David were a mess. Part of the reason why they were a mess because David was a mess. He did some uh, sinful things, and uh, those choices just kind of spread themselves through. David's family. But here we see in Luke chapter 3, Jesus coming on the scene. The mess that was left behind him. The second Adam comes. And the second Adam has the ability to cover all of their sin. He is the great rescuer. He is 
the eternal king. Now, the question is, how do we get into Jesus' family tree? <laughs> you know, we've, we've all got family trees, don't we? Are there any perfect family trees? Absolutely not. And for some of us here in this room, we're, we're kind of ashamed, embarrassed by where we've come from. And uh, we're familiar with generational sin. And we've seen parents do things that are passed down to their children and their children do things passed down to their children. And uh, maybe you're part of one of those generations, those family trees. Well, I've got some good news for you this morning, friend. God can break the generational sin in your life. You can start a brand new generation that can be that can be faithful for generations to come. I shared the the family tree of Jonathan Edwards and all the descendants that came from a faithful man and woman. God wants to do the very same thing in your life. How do you get into his family tree? Well, let me just read a few passages for you. You have two mentioned, but uh, go to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. I want to read verses 16 through 20. Isaiah says this, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. What? Do you see the heart of God in that verse? God God loves the marginalized. God loves the outsider, the oppressed. Church, we need we need to be conscientious of them, both collectively and individually. This is where God's heart is. He goes on and says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become white. Like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You have two other verses in your handout this morning. Again, Galatians chapter 3. Paul says, For in Christ. Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. How do we get into God's family tree? Church, we must believe, we must repent, and we must follow Jesus. If we're willing to do these things, my friend, God will break the generational sin in your life. You can give yourself and you will give opportunity for your children or your children's children a brand new beginning. Beginning with you as you set the example. As you turn from your sin, as you choose to do the right thing, and when you when you blow it, you apologize. You say, I was wrong. And you get back up and you keep back on that same path. Be be that person of grace. Be the image bearer of God. I want to close with two stories. The first was um, is by a book I just read this week. His, uh, the author is, um, uh, oh, well, the name of the book is uh, Not a Fan. And the author is Keith, Keith Eidelman. You're going to hear more about this book uh, in January because we're going to go through it as a church. It's a great book. Not a fan. He just encourages people to be a follower of Jesus and, and not a fan. But he talks about um, talks about his daughter in this book. They have four kids, and they had a uh, they had a white couch in their home, white carpet and a white couch. Doesn't go good for four kids. And uh, there were rules about uh, you know being in this room. Well, uh, one day the Keith's wife was cleaning the room, and she turned over the cushion, and there was a big red stain on this cushion. And she thought to herself, how did this get here? And so her and her husband, she called all four kids into into the living room for a family meeting. And she turned over the couch and showed him the couch and uh, asked, does anybody want to confess? And the oldest daughter just broke down in tears and she ran up the stairs and hid in her closet. And um, dad went up and heard her sobbing in her closet with her head between her knees and um, just consoled her but said, we need to come down and talk. And, uh, And she got back downstairs and she talked about the fact that she had gotten fingernail polish out and uh, was painting her fingernails uh, on the couch and it spilled and she tried to wipe up the mess and it made a bigger mess and um, she confessed it all and uh, then with tears in her eyes she asked her mom and dad do you still love me and mom and dad mom got on her knees she looked into her daughter's eyes And she said, there's not a stain big enough, sweetheart, that will keep us from loving you. And that meant the world to her. And there was a load of guilt 
uh, of shame that was taken from her shoulders. She talked about the fact that uh, she she dreaded the, the moment when she when they would find that stain that uh, and uh, she carried around this burden and that burden was lifted. It's it's great. Um, there's a video that goes with this book and in the video um, the dad who's a pastor that couch is now in uh, his office with the cushion um, exposing the stain Man, it's just a great picture of God's grace and love and forgiveness and he tells people about that stain and that story there's another story. Um, there was a gentleman by the name of uh, James H. Vincent. He was a judge in, in Escalon, California. And a small town near Manteca. Uh, he was obviously well known in the community. You know, everybody knows the judge. He had three daughters. Well, one of the daughters... Um, got pregnant in um, when she was 16 years old. Here's the judge. Small town. Everybody knows. Um, the judge's daughter is pregnant. This is back in the early 50s. You don't get pregnant uh, out of wedlock. Or, you know, it's, it's very much frowned upon. And here she is living... With, um, with what she's done wrong. And she goes and she shares with her, with her parents that she's pregnant. You know what the dad does? Here's the judge of the town. He goes to, he goes to a store and he goes to the baby department and he picks out a bassinet. And the dad brings home a bassinet for his daughter who's pregnant. Dads don't do that. Moms do that. But here is the judge of the community bringing home a bassinet for his daughter. That's grace. That's saying to a daughter, I don't agree with the decision that you've made, but as your daughter, as your dad, I'm here to support you. And we're going to get through this together. That judge it was my wife's grandfather. That 16-year-old girl was my wife's mom. That's a testimony of a generation who loved God. Wasn't a perfect family, but they loved Jesus. And through that relationship, they were going to get through it together. You know what? That... Uh, Wicker bassinet has held 
all of my wife's grandchildren. And we get to tell the story to our children. Because our children have been in that bassinet. And bless God, if it can survive the desert, (laughs) it's going to be there for the next generation. And we're going to be able to tell that story to our grandchildren's children. Folks, the grace of God. Jesus entered our mess. And Jesus became the rescuer of humanity. And if we will only, by faith, believe and repent of our sin and follow Jesus, he will take away our stain. Better yet, we can show people the stain. And we can talk about the grace of God and the judge that was there for his daughter. Folks, let's be those kinds of people, image bearers of God's image. This is what Jesus does, and this is what he can do in your life. Let's pray. The genealogy of Jesus. Not an exciting passage of scripture on the surface but my as we investigate so many great stories you have stories some you're not proud of but Jesus came to cover those sins to take those sins away And if you'll just believe and repent and follow him, though your sin be as crimson, he will make you as pure as the driven snow. Will you allow him to cover your sin? Will you allow him to enter your heart? Jesus is here for you. Give him your heart and your life. Cross the threshold of faith. Tell him you believe. Mom and Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, future parents can you thank him for what he's done in your heart and life tell him ask him to help you to be his image bearer to future generations.
not to hold sin over people's heads. To lovingly forgive and release. And be that person of grace that God has been to you. Jesus, thank you for your shed blood on Calvary's cross. And that while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us. You looked at us. You said we were worth dying for. Help us, Jesus, to reflect you in all of our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray.